1: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, a sputtering start. Shares of Tesla on a rocky road, its first day in the S&P 500. but should investors keep pumping the brakes on this. Plus, the worst-looking chart in the market. Why one of our traders says the fundamental story for this stock is, quote-unquote, atrocious. And later, the general is winding up for a fast pitch on a $13 billion stock you may never have heard of. Why he says you might want to take a bite out of this company right now. We start off with the two big stories driving the market action today, the COVID relief bill in Washington and a new strain of the virus spreading in the UK. Let's start with Elon Moy with the latest from DC, Elon.
2: Melissa, the House is now debating that combined COVID relief package and government funding bill a procedural vote is expected to happen on the house floor soon and then they'll move into the final debate and vote on this legislation now senate majority leader mitch mcconnell said that once this bill hits his chamber his members are going to stay in session until they get this done tonight though of course that could slip into the wee hours of tomorrow morning now technically the government does run out of money at midnight so as a backstop lawmakers are also voting on a one-week stopgap funding measure to make sure that the lights stay on until President Trump can actually sign this bill into law, which could still take a couple of days. Still, on CNBC this morning, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said that one of the signature programs in this package, those $600 stimulus checks, those could start hitting bank accounts as soon as next week. Meanwhile, Democrats are already looking ahead to next year and promising that more relief will be on the way.
3: This is an emergency survival package. And when we come back in January, our number one job will be to fill in the gaps left by the bill and then get the economy moving with strong federal input.
2: Now, Melissa, just for perspective, even though this package is significantly smaller than what Democrats had proposed and even than what the White House had offered at one point, it is still the second largest stimulus package that Congress will ever have passed. Back over to you.
1: Well, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. We turn now to uh, what we know on the new strain of the coronavirus spreading in the U.K. Meg Terrell's got the very latest on this developing story. Meg.
4: Hey, Melissa. Well, this one's sure capturing a lot of attention. We have seen a lot of mutations, as we always see with viruses. Uh, But this one, U.K. governments are suggesting might be more transmissible, up to 50 percent more. Uh, Now, they are still gathering the evidence on that. But if you just look at the case counts, the new daily cases in the U.K., Over the last month or so, you obviously see a major tick up. Uh, They had that shutdown in the UK for most of November. That's the orange line there where they did bring case numbers down. But then when they opened back up, they shot back up immediately. And they have said that this uh, new variant of the virus uh, is accounting for more and more uh, of these new cases. So. A major question, of course, uh, is do drugs and vaccines that we have for the coronavirus still work against this strain, which, by the way, there's no evidence, even if they think it might be more transmissible, no evidence that it is more uh, virulent or pathogenic, causing worse disease. So in terms of the drugs and uh, the vaccines, I reached out to uh, Eli Lilly and Regeneron, which, of course, make the antibody drugs, both saying uh, they expect from Lilly uh, their antibody should maintain full activity. Regeneron saying they believe their cocktail will be effective uh, and they uh, are doing lab work uh, now to confirm that. Now, in terms of the vaccines, Monsef Slaoui weighing in today saying essentially reassuring uh, early signs they need to do testing. BioNTech saying it's too early to draw any conclusions at this stage, but saying our vaccines able to mount a strong and broad immune response. So we remain optimistic. Haven't heard yet uh, from Moderna on their vaccine, but these uh, this work is undergoing. Uh, Underway right now, Melissa. At the same time, of course, that Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine got a conditional clearance uh, in the U- EU, and I have to look up the name. It's Comirnaty. That is the new brand name of this coronavirus vaccine, Mel.
1: That's really catchy,
4: <laughs> Meg. Thank you,
1: Meg Tarow, at <laughs> the very latest there. So we got more concerns on the COVID front. The threat of more restrictions on travel and reopening. Its stocks able to climb back from early losses with the Dow even ending the day higher. Guy was this all thanks to stimulus. I mean, how do we digest sort of these cross currents in the markets right now as we head into year end?
5: Well, I think a lot of it's got to high melt. I think a lot of it's got to do with the banks. We'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably the majority of it. Obviously, the stimulus helps. I'm not going to deny that. That's part of this equation as well. But you know, despite the fact that yes, the Dow closed higher, S and P still closed lower, well off. The lows we saw pre-market, I think S&P were down some almost 80 handles or so before the market opened. So it's a remarkable comeback. But the thing that stood out to me, and I'd love to hear what the other guys have to say, is the fact that the VIX, which we had pointed out a number of times at 21 level, had been support. I mean, that went to 30 in a heartbeat. So you see how quickly risk comes back into the market, despite the fact that the market did come back. The VIX still closed north of 25. I think that's your barometer. That's what you have to watch. And I do believe that's telling you there's some headwinds ahead, Melissa.
1: The financials, Tim, you pointed out on our midday call, it just doesn't add up, though. I mean, if you think that things may get worse, that there may be a more transmissible form of COVID out there somewhere lurking in the world, um, you know, banks are reopening trade. Yeah,
6: and I'm excited, or I'm certainly very much looking forward to Chris Verone talking about the charts on the banks. But if you if you think about the fundamentals around the banks, remember how when we started at least getting uh, through the lows of, of the crisis and, and recovering or some sense of the other side, uh, banks lagged, lagged badly. And the sense was we still don't know the damage to the banks. We know that also they're going to at least have headwinds coming from the Federal Reserve. So, so on Friday, the news that they can begin buybacks and, and uh, their capital structures may have more freedom. I, look, I, it's just interesting interesting to me that even in the worst of the downdraft this morning, the guy described where we were with the S&P and, and even with futures, that banks were still holding that great news from Friday because banks were seen uh, as representative of not only Main, Main Street, which is uh, very much impaired, um, but that there was at least some sense that banks really had a lot of credit concerns. So um, Friday's good news was a world where um, we're back to good or sometime soon back to good. Okay, let's take the pressure off the banks and let them go back to their capital market structure. And it's just interesting that the market for the banks today, um, in the same way on the way up for the rest of the markets when banks didn't participate, uh, banks outperformed today and shrugged off the news that the broader market took about the broader economy.
1: So which signal do you accept more as as a bigger tell, Jeff Mills, the VIX? Above 25, sp- you know, spiking as high as 30, as, as Guy pointed out, or the positive session in the banks.
7: I, I mean, I think you have to pay attention to the VIX, right? I mean, it's been really buoyant around that 20 level, so I think in terms of a near near-term correction, it's certainly possible, um, but it always is. But I, I continue to think the market's going to look at this particular episode of volatility that's driven by the virus uh, or, or whatever we have going on a little bit differently, and I do think it comes back to the stimulus bill. Uh, we talked about this a number of weeks ago. I, I do think that the, the vaccine was a catalyst for actually getting something done by the end of the year. And, you know, the, the bill's far from perfect, but um, the deal does have some size to it, and it also is front-loaded. So you're going to have $700 billion fall from the sky within the first five months of 2021. So, I mean, that's a big deal. And just to put it into perspective, it's about 1.9% of GDP over the next two years that's similar to the main packages that we got around two thousand nine the financial crisis so You have a lot of this going to consumers, a lot of this going to small businesses. Uh, It's not going to solve everyone's problems. Um, And I don't think it's a catalyst for the market to go uh, precipitously higher. But I also think it it enables this narrative to persist, that Mm -hmm. we're seeing better, better performance out of some of the cyclicals, the banks. Small caps outperform today, which is also very interesting. So I think all of that wraps together where the market thinks, you know what? We now have a little bit of a clearer path forward. We understand that the next quarter or so is going to be ugly, but if we look to 2021, things look a lot brighter. So. Um, I I don't know that I'd be diving headfirst into, you know, some of the more speculative um, reopening trades, you know, cruise lines, things of that nature. But I do still want to be in quality cyclicals, Um, you know, industrials. I think about stocks like Caterpillar, materials like Vulcan. uh, You have $10 billion in highway spending in the bill. um, So that's where I want to be right now.
1: If you did think that there could have been a solvency issue on the horizon on, on Main Street, Dan, this perhaps, this new bill, Helps with that a bit with checks uh, going to individuals, checks going to the unemployed, a new round of PPP potentially getting out there in quick in quick order, short order.
8: Yeah, I mean, it helps a bit. I I think that's what you just suggested. You know, the HEROES Act was passed, I think, five months ago, and it was uh, to the tune of of more than two and a quarter times what we're passing right now. With all that time that's lagged, we know that a lot of our citizens and a lot of our small businesses, this is basically a survival package. This is not a stimulus package. So, um, you know, all you have to do is go look at those um, jobless claims numbers over the last uh, couple weeks, the way they're ticking up. We looked at the November um, jobs data. It was not good. It's not going to be better in December. Usually you have all the seasonal hiring. Maybe you see them in Amazon and some of the logistics, that sort of thing. But retail makes up um, a huge component of that. It's going to be a pretty bleak few months here. So I just think that it's also interesting that the vaccine, um, you know, Excitement has been somewhat muted by the logistics of deploying it. We've been talking about that for weeks to think that that was going to be easy. It's just not going to be. And now this new strain, there's going to be a lot of questions about therapies and what might have to happen to these vaccines going forward if this new strain does start to spread. So to me, I just don't think it's such a clear cut case that you go in and you buy the stock market in early 2021, especially when you consider the fact that we are 1% or so off of the all time highs. Maybe last week. I just think that 2021 might be the year that reality sets in for the investor class here, that the economy is going to have serious, serious scars. And by the way, we're still in a bit of a political mess here. And January 5th is coming around the corner pretty quickly. And I don't think a whole heck of a lot is priced in for that Senate runoff in Georgia.
1: Or maybe that's precisely why you buy the markets at this point in time, uh, Dan, a guy. I mean, I'll I'll go to you on this. And I know that you you said the volatility index might be your sort of canary in the coal mine. But With all these things thrown at the markets, the markets, as Dan pointed out, still about a percent within a percent of record highs. And here we are. You would have thought that a new strain of covid where drug companies have to address whether or not their vaccines and treatments are effective against this new strain. That would have thrown the market into a tizzy. And yet we recovered. And maybe that's good price action.
5: It's fantastic price action. We'll talk about the airlines in a second. I mean, the fact that the airlines didn't get walloped today is remarkable as well. I mean, there are a lot of things to like if you're bullish, no question about it. I'm not going to sit here. I can't deny it. I mean, the playbook has been now for over a decade that, you know, when the market sells off, the Fed's got you back, it's backstop, uh, risk comes back quickly or the risk entree comes back quickly. That's been correct. But there's so many warning signs out there, not least of which now, you know, that Warren Buffett indicator that we bring up from time to time is now, I think, north of 183 percent, which is just historic. A lot of people say it doesn't matter. I think Jerome Powell, pretty much said that last week. We had a very interesting conversation with Steve Leisman around that. So to me, it all comes down to the fact that the market is in belief that there's this backstop there. I'm not certain that's the case. And now we're closing in on close to $20 trillion of negatively yielding sovereign bonds across the planet. I mean, that's a troubling number. I think it represents almost 28% of all bonds that are traded. I mean, there's so many things out there to be worried about, yet the stock market is the ultimate judge. People look at that and say, there's no there's nothing to be concerned about here. The stock market just goes up. That's true. Until Dan's point, it doesn't. And you see how quickly, by the way, you know, you saw how quickly the VIX went from 21 to 30. I think that's something it that should really have in the back of your mind as we move forward into 2021.
1: All right. Speaking of airlines, that new COVID strain in the U.K. Is sparking a slew of new travel restrictions. For more on what this could mean for the airlines, let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's been tracking those record numbers this past weekend. Phil.
3: And Melissa, this is bad news certainly for Delta, American, United. They have the most exposure from the U.S. over to Europe, albeit their tra- their levels of travel down 85, 90 percent compared to a year ago. But the U.K. travel restrictions that have just been put in place, this is what's putting uh, a real chill on the airline sector overall. Essentially, it comes down to this. Many countries are now banning flights from the U.K. That prompted Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York today, to say, you know what, if you're flying into New York City from Heathrow, we want everybody tested. And within a matter of hours, you had both Delta as well as British Airways complying with that request. Virgin Atlantic also flies into New York from Heathrow. We have not heard a final answer from them. Uh, As you take a look at shares of Delta, we should point out that their tests for those flying from Heathrow into New York It will be a PCR test. So they're going to have to be done 72 hours in advance. And as you mentioned, Melissa, all of this comes at a time when we are seeing more people here in the U.S. domestically who are traveling. And that's reflected in the numbers from the TSA, the passenger screening numbers, more than a million Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Now, this was expected as we headed into Christmas and New Year's. That doesn't mean that the travel is going to keep going up from here. It's likely going to stay in this range maybe through January 2nd, and then you're likely to see it pull back. Take a look at shares of American, Southwest, and United. Also keep in mind that the airlines have now secured or are on the cusp of securing $15 billion in federal government aid. Now, this would be payroll support, Melissa. That means that the money would be used to bring back any workers who have been furloughed in November or in October. They are now going to be brought back onto the payroll, more than 32000 Those jobs will be guaranteed all the way through the end of March. And if you take a look at Alaska, JetBlue, and uh, Spirit, one thing to keep in mind Those stocks have not sold off as much today as you've seen the legacy carriers. Why? Because it's that exposure internationally Mm -hmm. that some some investors are looking at and saying, well, look, it's going to be even longer before we see that international component come back. But make no mistake. Overall, all of the airlines are feeling the pressure right now.
1: Yep. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau uh, and Tim, maybe this underscores that sort of investment thesis during the pandemic and in the early days of the pandemic, where you want to be in the more domestically focused airlines versus the ones exposed to international travel, which will it'll take so much longer for that business to come back.
6: Yeah, and you, the other thing we're saying is you want to own the best balance sheet. So we mm-hmm. were talking about Southwest and Delta. Um, I, I, I don't think people were pricing back in international travel. And, and if you were listening to anyone from some of the best analysts in the space, uh, the airline space, it was don't expect international and international business to come back anytime soon. And I don't think that was in anybody's model. Um, I think for airline investors, you have to be careful about a couple of things. First of all, no... The airlines that actually did have dilutive equity dynamics uh, around some of the, the money taken from the government, et etc., or what they had to issue themselves, uh, and those that didn't. And also where they are trading as a percentage of, you know, uh, 2019 EBITDA. Um, and the sector on, a, on an earnings valuation basis, not surprisingly, doesn't look all that impressive. Airlines have come back a lot uh, and are trading at around 78%, 79%. It was up to about 84 85 but they have pulled back a bit. Um, I, I continue to like Delta, I continue to like Southwest, um, I know this trade is something that's a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, ominous on a day like today, and therefore, I don't think you have to jump back in here, but um, I think the key is we're no longer talking about airline balance sheets, and unless um, we, this really goes pear-shaped, um, I think it's more going to be about recovery rates.
1: All right. Coming up, we're in the holiday spirit here on Fast Money. We'll take a look at which names you should wrap or scrap from your portfolio. Don't be a Grinch and miss the names. But first, shares of Intel falling on some big chip news. Um, That news shaking up the semi-space. we got the details straight ahead. Back in two. Back to Fast Money, check out shares of Peloton moving higher in the after hour session. Peloton's acquiring Precor, which is one of the largest global commercial fitness equipment makers. The transaction valued at $420 U.S. dollars. Uh, Peloton shares up 7%. Guy, was this a smart move? Uh, presumably this is to acquire their manufacturing facilities so they can meet better demand.
5: Not only that, and it is a smart move. $430 million, I think, which is probably 1% or so of... Uh, Peloton's market cap. Not really it's it's remarkable. Not a big deal for them. We played a game, I think, back in November, best days ahead or behind Peloton. And I thought the best days in terms of the stock were still ahead. And here we are now, I believe at all time highs. Good for them. Get some really into the commercial market now. There are probably some technology uh not secrets, but technology things they can implement, I'm sure, on the back of this. It's a company that I really believe thinks the best days lie ahead, and I agree. I think the stock can still go higher from here despite the fact that I think it's up I think north of 154 now in the aftermarket. Yep.
1: Uh, let's get to Intel shares. They drop for a second straight day. This after reports Microsoft plans to design its own chips for its products. That stock is down more than 20% this year and this is no case is so bad it's good. In fact, Dan Nathan calls it the worst chart in the market. Dan, tell us why. <laughs>
8: yeah well here's a good example where you want to marry fundamentals with the technicals i mean the two pieces of news the apple news that they're ending this fifteen-year laptop partnership they introduced their latest mac air with their own designed m1 chip that wasn't a huge surprise that was coming the report about microsoft moving away from them is probably less impactful it's a much smaller customer of intel's um, up maybe one or two percent tops whereas apple was like seven and a half um eight or so but when you think about where Microsoft's operating um, system software goes on. Their biggest clients are Intel. It's, it's, it's Hewlett. It's Dell. It's LG. Will the design of these chips by Microsoft, if it's true, have a broader implication on these other hardware OEMs? I just don't know. You know. But here's the thing. This stock is hated. The sentiment is horrible. Look at this one-year chart. You said it's down 23% in the year, Mel. It's down 33% from its 52-week highs made in January. It's made a series of lower highs. You see those earnings gaps. They've had massive massive mis-execution on their 7 nanometer. It's allowed AMD, NVIDIA to gain market share. The story sounds horrible, but I'll just say this it's reaching some technical support look at that level down there right around forty three and a half or so on the one year that's about five six percent from here look at the five-year you can see how important that forty two forty three dollar level are if you see this stock move into the end of the year we have another week or so and it gets down towards there this could set up as a good dogs of the Dow play. it is in the Dow 30 and it's probably the worst performing stock in that um, Dow It's underperforming its sentiment's really bad, it's a really cheap stock, there's nothing good on the horizon, so maybe it bounces from those levels. I just kinda wanted to marry, though, those fundamentals and those technical inputs. It should be on your radar, this name. Bad press on the short side here, mm-hmm. back to those lows. That's why I'm thinking about what it looks like early in the new year.
1: Another um, headwind for Intel, which Dan didn't mention, he mentioned a long list <laughs> working against Intel at this point is, is the manufacturing issue that Intel has faced with its newest chips. And if it wants to outsource those chips, the manufacturing of those chips to Taiwan Semi. Well, guess what? U.S.-China relations aren't that great. And all it takes is is for the U.S. to say, you know what? No more Taiwan Semi. This is a national security issue. Uh, Jeff Mills, where do you stand on Intel and this notion that maybe it could be a dog of the Dow play?
7: I think that's true in the near term. So I think you could clearly get a short term bounce. You know, I, I look at the chart and see right around forty five. I think it's bounced off of that level seven times over the past three years. So there's a very clear line in the sand drawn there. So I would use that as an indicator in terms of whether the stock can bounce or it's going to continue to go lower. But just to pile on to what Dan said, I, I you, you think longer term and like where do you start? You know, they, they continue to bleed market share, they've had production delays so on and so forth i mean the stock isn't dead they're gonna grow revenue about five percent this year eps will be flat next year doesn't look quite as good but what what worries me the most is maybe what management has been doing to try to write the ship because i think it's more about what you might call financial engineering so Reducing capex, increasing buybacks, um, things of that nature, versus focusing on the real R&D issues that could then propel the stock higher, kind of over a multi-year trend. Um, so for me, that's what I worry about longer term. All right,
1: we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what is coming up next.
7: Tesla
5: hitting the brakes as it makes its S&P 500 trading debut. First day jitters or more downside ahead? That trade next. And should you bank on the bank stocks in the new year? We'll go off the charts and dive into that sector.
0: That and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration,
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Mark your calendars. We got a special slate of super sized Fast Money episodes starting Wednesday at 6 p.m., continuing all next week. We'll be answering all your burning trading questions, so please send them to us at CNBC Fast Money on Twitter. Hopefully they are video questions, and I will try and answer them live on the air. All right. Shares of Tesla slamming the brakes today, the stock falling more than six percent as it makes its debut in the S&P 500. Meantime, Reuters reporting Apple is targeting its own electric vehicle as early as 2025, excuse me, 2024. Shares popping late in the day on that report. Uh, Tim, what did you make of the the Tesla action and, and this report that Apple may be coming in? This sort of underscores the idea that that there is competition looming.
6: Yeah, I mean, five years ago or four years ago, you know, the speculation around Apple and Tesla was—it's very interesting that, that here we are. Um, and and look, I, I, I think the the sell the news dynamic of of Tesla here, especially after uh, you know the two announcements uh, between the stock split and the S and P were 150 percent in move in the in the company since August. So um, I, I I just you know technically none of this is a surprise. Uh, look, I've talked for a long time about the competitive landscape. I don't think anything anything about that has gotten easier. Um, but I, I, I'm, it's very clear to me the reason people own Tesla is not because they're fearful that this is an EV company. Even it's not about it's not an auto company. It's not even an EV auto company. Um, it's a technology play. So um, I, I don't know that they, in the in the longer term or even in the medium term this is going to knock Tesla investors out of their conviction. Um, I think technically the stock has room to pull back. It's just extraordinary, those two events, what they meant
1: for the underlying stock. All right. We've got only three days left until Christmas. You all know that. So we're in the holiday spirit here on FAST. We thought this would be the perfect time to play a new game of... That's right, Rapid or Scrap It, a festive <laughs> version of Traded or Faded, whatever you want to call it. It is here, created by the one and only Guy Adami. Tesla was on a monster run this year, as we had highlighted, but it's not the only non-S&P 500 stock to have surged. So let's start off with Zoom, zipping 510% higher this year. Guy, the inventor of Rapid or Scrap It, will kick things off. RAP or Scrap Zoom? Guy.
5: Well, you know, as you know, Mel, I've been doing this show now, it'll be 37 years next week. And if the only thing people remember me for is wrap it or scrap it, that's okay in my book. And in terms of Zoom, you wrap this sucker. And although you mentioned how much it's gained over the year, it's actually, thank you, Maurice's kids. It's actually down 30% from the October high. It went from 580 to 380, pretty much in a straight line. Go back to September, look where it accelerated from. It was the 380 level. That's where we held I think this, you know, as much as I hate to say it, um, things might be getting better in the back half of next year. They're not getting better anytime soon. Zoom is here to
7: stay. I think you wrap it right here.
1: All right, Jeff, you wrap it or scrap it?
7: As so much as I hate to disagree with Guy, I'm going to scrap it here. You know, I, I agree with him in the sense that you have seen this consolidation for a while, so the stock could go up from here on an absolute basis. But in thinking about relative performance and where I would want my money, I, I just think a lot of growth is reflected in the current price. So, so to me, I just ask the question: You know, what's left here? And maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy, but you know, how much of the first mover advantage that it has, or the brand recognition that it has? Uh, How much is that worth in terms of a relative valuation premium? Um, I I just think you're at a point where the growth expectations baked into the name uh, are far too high. Uh, I think other companies can probably replicate this technology fairly effectively over time. So for me, got to scrap it.
1: All right. Let's get to Square. It rallied more than 260 percent in 2020, at least so far. So, Tim, would you wrap it or scrap it?
6: so i you know I, i've been on both sides of this trade and i still own a position but i, I have to wrap it uh... and and uh, as much as the, the momentum in the name said to scrap it and and i'm happy that i made maurice's kids so happy so close to christmas who would want to disappoint these cute kids um, but i i the dynamic around the bitcoin uh... purchase of fifty million shares i believe it was the first week of october fifty million purchase has translated into a thirty percent move in the stock or uh, about a twenty percent 20 billion dollar move in market cap Um, and it's because the cash app which has been proven to be a very sticky and and growth dynamic for Square overall is allowing this boost factor which gives users the ability to actually get Bitcoin and and I think this dynamic along with the dynamics around the company and and how they have grown to be a major player uh, in terms of everything you do uh, possibly in terms of your financial world being managed off of Square I'm forced to reassess some of my assessments about how expensive it really is.
8: Yeah, so I'll just scrap this thing here. Not you know, Listen, great great reasons to wrap it. Um, you know, the Cash App, the Bitcoin, the growth this year. On a gap basis, they're still going to lose money. Um, you know, trades at a ridiculous multiple to the non-earnings or the adjusted earnings. And then on the sales, uh, you know, price of sales, it, it just doesn't make sense here. And to Tim's point, you know, the stock has gone up 50% since the, net, uh, the end of October. It's up 600% from the March lows. I mean, at some point, there has to be some sort of financial reality that comes into this stock market with the growth opportunities of some of these companies and yeah it's a transformative company but I I mean does it deserve to be at a higher market cap than Goldman Sachs or or, or, you know I I just don't know and so at the end of the day I think when you think about such a short-term gain in the last couple of months there needs to be some sort of correction here in these names so new investors can kind of reevaluate what the next leg of growth is because people who bought this thing in March are not thinking about adding to it here I don't think.
1: All right it's uh, the general's turn. Snap up some 230% wrap it or scrap it Jeff.
7: all right, so I'm feeling a little grinchy here, I guess, but I'm scrapping this one too. Um and it's along the same lines as Zoom for me. You know, they're they're getting a lot right. If you look at their last earnings report, they beat on revenue, they beat on EPS, daily active users, whatever measure you want to use, um, they're converting trial ad campaigns to full campaigns. I mean, things are going well for them, but the stock's up 85% since October. So to my point earlier, I just think you get to a point where Trees aren't going to grow to the sky and and the growth and user adoption that is baked into some of these price levels is is just far too high. So I would scrap it here, maybe look for a post-holiday sale and wrap it around 40. Trees
5: might not grow to the sky, Mel, but Mel's but Maurice's kids are going to grow and they're going to come after Jeff Mills because he scrapped two stocks and he made those guys (laughs) and gals cry. Not cool. Look, you look at the quarter they reported back in October, to Jeff's point, it was, it was ridiculous on so many different metrics. I think so many analysts are behind the curve on this. Yes, the stock has had a tremendous run, but I think they're going to continue to build on the quarters that we've seen. They've actually made an acquisition since then, which I find to be remarkable. Uh, and I think the growth, the growth is still ahead of them. And I think Facebook's, um, some, of the, some of the situations that Facebook's are facing right now is giving real tailwinds to snap. So I would wrap it.
1: All right. (laughs) Now they're happy. Lulu stretching uh, 62% year to date. Dan, a wrap it or scrap it?
8: Yeah, I think you wrap this one, but it's a short-term wrap, short-term gift, um, playing for a breakout. The stock has been consolidating um, since the summer here. It looks poised for a breakout. You saw what Nike just reported digitally drove that kind of quarter here. So I think we're going to see a great quarter out of Lulu. I think you see this thing break out early in the new year.
1: Tim, your quick take?
8: Quick scrap. Sorry. And sorry, Maurice.
6: Uh, look, This is a story of a trailing 12 months. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're at around 75 times trailing 12 months. The reason I'm going trailing is at some point this pull forward is just that, yeah, I get what's going on with, with uh, ABC Pants and the men's opportunity and the international opportunity and even the mirror acquisition. Um, but at some point, valuation matters a lot with a retail company.
1: All right. Coming up. It's been a crushing year for crude oil. Will energy markets rebound in 2021? We'll dive into the options pits for a look ahead. But first, Jeff is gearing up for a fast, but he is bullish on a name you may have never heard of. That counts. Uh, a big tech time tech giant, excuse me, as its biggest client is under the radar stock pick. We come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a wild day for the markets, of the Dow managing to eke out a gain while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ both closed in the red. But our Jeff Mill says there is one under-the-radar company that could be setting up for big gains amid this volatility. He's here with a fast pitch. So, Jeff, take it away. All right. So I
7: think this one's pretty cool here. Um, it's a play on the trend in supply chain automation. So we all know what's going on there. Amazon has 100,000 robots across its fulfillment centers. Um, you know, that's not going away anytime soon and more and more companies are going to operate this way. The company is Cognex. So little known, they've done very well this year, but they're going to become, at least in my opinion, a more integral part of the supply chain infrastructure. Um, they, They operate what's called machine vision technology. So they make software and sensors that are used in automated manufacturing. So they can inspect parts, they find defects, verify proper assembly, all of those things. And right now, there are 360 million factory workers worldwide 35 million of those workers are simply doing visual inspection they're sitting at a desk staring at parts so there's a huge opportunity here this company has seventy percent gross margins no debt Apple's a customer, Amazon's a customer, and to speak to Amazon, the fulfillment center sales are booming. So their e-commerce and logistics sales are only about 15 or 20% of their total revenue right now. That segment's growing at 50% per year. Management thinks that that can continue, just given the fact that this is going to proliferate across a lot of different industries. And the last thing I'll say, which I think is really neat, you know, this company's been around for a really long time, and they've been integrating AI into their software since the early 1980s. And they've been able to constantly adapt their software to the changing market. So they started inspecting typewriter keys. Then they went on to semiconductors, then to autos, then to smartphones, now to this logistics industry. So I think as things continue to evolve, as all of these industries coalesce around these fulfillment centers in e-commerce, this company is going to be a major beneficiary.
1: All right. Um, I think Dan's got a question for Jeff.
7: Yeah. So, hey, Jeff, this stock
8: is up 48% on the year. Um, Really interesting. I'm looking at their sales and earnings. In 2019, they both declined double digits. And now, really, the gains that we're seeing in 2020 are not that significant. This is a very expensive stock without a whole heck of a lot of growth. And so how do you get to those 360 million workers being displaced and this thing
7: growing into this uh, valuation? Yeah, so that was a stumble in in 19 and maybe in 20. They saw a little bit slower growth in consumer electronics. A lot of that had to do with Apple. But I just think all of this is going to grow so far outside of automotive and consumer electronics, which is really the big part of their business right now. So you had a double whammy of auto slowing and consumer electronics slowing. But as these fulfillment centers continue to grow, as this technology continues to get integrated into uh, a lot of these other industries, I think it can grow into the valuation. So just like dirty math if you're able to grow 20% revenues and EPS, which is really what, what management is forecasting right now, that's $6 per share by 2030. So even if you cut the multiple in a third, you're talking about like 225% upside from here, average annual return over 10 years of 22%. So I think you can get there as long as the trend continues in this
1: direction in terms of the adoption of this technology. All right, no more questions, it is time to vote. So are you buying Jeff's pitch on Cognix? Uh, Guy, what do you say?
5: Mel, can you read my smart board for me? I hopefully you can read it for the people. It says, at home.
1: it says, Spacely Sprockets.
5: Now, I know you don't know what that <laughs> means, but when Jeff said co- Cognex, the first thing I, of course, it's thought Jetson. of was uh, Cogswell, Cogs. and Thank you. You really knew that or is somebody yes. in your ear? No, I knew That's that. That's a great job by you regardless. No, but I, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a great pitch. Listen, the, the stock, the run's been remarkable. Here's the thing. They just declared a special cash dividend. Balance sheet is Teflon, to Jeff's point. And analysts are offside. You're going to start to see analysts have to catch up to this. And that $15 market cap in this world probably puts them right in a sweet spot for a potential acquisition. That's you'd buy for that point. I'm with Jeff
1: Mills on this one. All right. Tim Seymour, what do you say?
6: Yeah, I'm a buyer of everything the general is selling. I mean, ultimately, and but no, I do have my smart board, Mel. I don't want to get scolded anytime soon. Um, but it allowed me to check the box on the three things. Anytime you can check the box on 5G e-commerce and logistics all in the same name. Uh, you have to be a buyer in my view. Good job, General Mills.
1: Yeah, I've been giving Tim a tough time since he had that piece of paper with a ballpoint <laughs> pen scribble all over it. Um, but uh, you've redeemed yourself, Tim. Yep. Uh, Dan, what do you say? Listen,
8: I thought it was a great pitch also and a good under-the-radar thing, but I'm a seller here at $80 at a new all-time high. The thing, you know, if you go back and look at the chart from 2017, it just broke out somewhere in the low 70s. I think you get a pullback there and a consolidate. That's when you want to do it. But I do not like that hiccup that Jeff spoke about in 2019. It sounds like customer, uh, you know, there's a lot of consolidation there or at least um, issues with the potential there. So um, I'm a seller right here.
1: All right. Well, two buys and a sell. The desk has spoken, but we want to know if you at home are buying Jeff's pitch on Cognex. Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll have the results later in the show. Coming up, big banks outperforming today. We'll tell you whether this is a breakout. Don't go anywhere much more fast. Straight ahead.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the banks posting some major gains today. The pop coming after the Fed said it would allow the group to resume buybacks. But how will financials fare in the new year? Chris Verona, Strategas, joins us now to help sort that out with the charts. Chris, take it away.
9: So Yeah, you know, I think today was a really interesting day. Uh, if you look at the last several weeks, a lot of macro uncertainties, yet the banks have quietly acted really well. Today was an example uh, of that. The bank index, the S&P, broke out. I think it's very meaningful. And then I think most importantly, when you look at the banks relative to the market, they have really started to turn, you know, really reversing a two or three year downtrend. The leadership we're getting from the banks here, I think, is a very good sign for what the group can give you next year. I think a big part of this call is rates. And that's another thing about today that was really just so remarkable is how resilient 10 year yields have been. They traded them down to about 87 or 87 uh, 87 or 88 basis points this morning. They held, reversed, higher to 94, 95 bips. That means the curve is steepening. Steeper curve is a good environment for banks, and I really wonder if we're setting up for some type of a pair trade in 21, where you want to be long banks and short tech. And really, that's the next chart here. This is your P and L if you're long banks and short tech. And this is again started to turn. Uh, over the last number of weeks, we're forming a base. And I think rates up is probably supportive for this idea uh, as well. So what names do we want to own uh, in this group? You can't talk about the banks and not talk about the biggest and the best chart uh, in the group. And that's Shaky Morgan, uh, another stock that you know really has broken out uh, over the last several days. I do think this will give a run back to the old highs somewhere in the 140, 145 neighborhood but again, this for us is about the turn in relative performance versus the broader market. This is reemerging as a leader at, frankly, uh, a pretty difficult last two or three years. Uh, look at some of the brokers. Uh, we have some breakouts here as well. I think Goldman Sachs. You know, very quietly, Goldman has uh, started to outperform here uh, over the last several weeks. And that's a major, major change in character for this stock it's frankly been 12 or 13 years since goldman last worked as a leadership name a uh, nice relative breakout a nice absolute breakout for goldman uh, as well but our favorite name in the group our favorite name for 21 really in any sector is morgan stanley no one has made morgan no one has made any money in morgan stanley in 20 years that is changing here in a very very big way this is a huge breakout over the last several weeks here i think any weakness into the new year should be bought this is one of our favorite ideas. I think the banks in general are starting to assert themselves. And what we have said is a broad market. And the banks getting involved, I think, is reflective of that.
1: Chris, is Morgan Stanley one of your best ideas yes. stock-wise overall or within the banking sector? Just curious.
9: Well, it's one of our favorite ideas in any sector, in mm-hmm. any group, in wow. any geography. This is one of the best charts in the market.
1: Wow. Chris, thank you. Chris Arone thank of Strategis, Guy Adami, that is some endorsement by Chris.
5: It is. And actually, I think Dan spoke to this a while back, saying Morgan Stanley actually looks like one of the best charts that he's seen. So, you know, Chris and Dan are singing the same tune, which is great. I'll go back and look at City and say that, you know, I think we've done a really good job with that one. Go back to October when it was trading $42 a share, you know, 59% of tangible book. And I think we outlined a really cogent argument why it should be trading $61.20. And that's based on it trading back to 85% of book and now of tangible book. Now look at where it closed today. 6120. So I think it's a reasonable place to be taking money off the table. I think banks can go higher, but just look at the run that it's had and you've seen sort of fits and starts in city. So city specifically, if you've enjoyed this run, I'd be paring down some of the gains.
1: Long banks, short tech. Dan, what do you think?
8: Yeah, I, listen, this has been I've been on that train before, largely because the charts look that way and bronze come on numerous times and i've agreed with it but i've also agreed with tim and mills and guy who are saying that this is the best reopening trade out there and it's going to be a multi-year thing not like the v reversals we've seen in some of those hard hit uh names in the industrials and the transports that sort of thing so i like them here
1: all right coming up a crude awakening oil prices tumbling today as demand fears escalate we'll tell you how options traders are navigating the sell-off and take a look at the kramer cam jim is talking with the ceo of Robinhood. That must-see interview is coming up at the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. More fast money right after this. All right, it's time to reveal whether you at home are buying Jeff's pitch on Cognex. And the survey says, uh, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Not buying the pitch. Better luck next time, Jeff. (laughs) Time for the final trans. Let's go around the horn, Tim Seymour.
6: So sad for the general. Uh, How about General Motors? Um, I think you have a case here where the pullback to the 50 after a very big run is something that you want to now begin to add to. I like GM.
1: Jeff.
7: Twitter might not be buying it, but I am. Supply chain automation. I think there's a long (laughs) runway. Cognex. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so we talked
8: about the worst chart in the market. That's probably Intel. One of the best charts in the market is Microsoft. Look at that thing. Looks poised for a breakout into the end of the year, possibly into the new year. Guy Adami. Did you really know the Jetsons or did somebody
5: tell you on
1: set? I knew the Jetsons.
5: Rosie is amazing. I mean,
1: mean, you know, I I know things.
5: (laughs) Apparently. Good for you. I'm proud of you. Uh, Fire eye, that sucker's going higher.
1: All right, we'll see you back here tomorrow at five. For more fast. Uh, meantime, that money starts right now.
0: People today can spend half their lives over fifty, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!